and welcome to the 15th episode of Catch Up on Kids Mental Health. I'm Janet Morrison. In this episode, I'm going to talk about selective mutism, why some children simply can't find their voice. Selective mutism is an anxiety disorder where children who are able to speak and speak at home don't speak in other situations. They don't speak at birthday parties and they don't speak at school. Sometimes children speak to peers, but not adults outside the home. And sometimes they speak only inside the walls of their own homes and only to family members. Selective mutism used to be called elective mutism until about 1994 because it was believed that these children refused to speak because they were oppositional and stubborn. Since that time, selective mutism has been understood as a form of anxiety, very closely associated with social anxiety. It's quite rare, occurring at rates of about 1% in clinic and classroom samples. It's highest in kids between the ages of 4 and 8. Children usually develop selective mutism before the age of 5 years old, but it might not become a problem until they start school or preschool. The personality traits most associated with selective mutism are sensitivity, extreme shyness, perfectionism, and a kind of inflexibility, an inflexibility about everything. These are kids who, who don't like new situations and they don't like change. Most common co-occurring conditions are separation anxiety, specific phobias, and speech impediments. Most common misdiagnoses are autistic spectrum disorder, developmental delay, and oppositional defiant disorder. What triggers selective mutism? Well, any number of events can trigger selective mutism, including a move to a new community, learning a new language as a result of a move, teasing or bullying regarding the child's speech, or starting school. Sensitive children who are not easily understood and who have to repeat themselves frequently, sometimes decide not to speak at all. Parents and teachers and even peers often experience children with selective mutism as confusing and frustrating. Parents are really embarrassed when their chatty child suddenly becomes silent in front of grandparents and friends, not even able to say hello or make eye contact. Teachers can be really offended when they overhear a child whispering to a classmate with great animation and enthusiasm in the schoolyard, and then sees that same child frozen and silent in response to their attempts to engage. Classmates often perceive a child's silence as odd or unfriendly, and they often avoid or tease the child as a response. The longer the mutism continues, the longer the child remains stigmatized and delayed in his or her social development. In the worst instances, the children, their parents and teachers, become embroiled in a battle of wills, which results in everyone's distress. Children with selective mutism are a diverse group in that some use nonverbal communication very effectively. Some whisper to one or two friends who do their speaking for them, and some participate in a whole range of activities while others are extremely withdrawn and isolated. All of these children, however, suffer from anxiety, self-consciousness, and a sense that they're abnormal or incompetent. Some children with selective mutism continue to be labeled stubborn and uncooperative, 
which adds to their experience of being misunderstood, as well as really undermining their self-esteem. The frustration and hurt feelings which accumulate over the course of the day are often expressed when they get home. Anger outbursts, tears, and temper tantrums are common when children return home from school after a really challenging day at school. So what helps? The goal is to facilitate the child's speech in all situations and settings. Since selectively mute children make huge distinctions between school and home and function very differently in the two settings, communication between teachers and parents is really important. Some of the tips for teachers that are often suggested include exploring with parents the best way to encourage the child and make them feel more comfortable at school, finding some way to be in regular communication with parents about significant events, encouraging parents to visit, and trying to kind of bridge that gap between school and home, building a positive communicative, nonverbal relationship with the child who doesn't speak. Many teachers are worried, and understandably, that this approach will encourage the child to continue to be nonverbal. But in fact, it actually calms the children and motivates them to participate and ultimately speak. Inviting the parents or an older sibling into the class for a private tour uh, during lunch or after school Having the child take their parent or siblings around and show them all the things that they're doing and their activities and where they sit is another way of kind of introducing the home into the school and the school into the home. It's a good idea for parents to sit and watch their child in the school or in the schoolyard. And it's a great idea for the teacher when the parents and the siblings are around to ask if they can sit in while the child takes their parent or their family member around the class, but they have to sit as a silent observer in the first instance. If they're not allowed, if teachers are not allowed to do that, then they sit outside the class and hope to be invited to sit in on a subsequent visit. Experts say it's very important for teachers not to get too excited if they hear the child speak, that they really need to keep it low-key so as not to overwhelm the child with expectations and pressure. For assessment purposes, teachers may ask parents or an older sibling to come into the classroom to record them telling a story about their favorite picture, identifying letters or words, or even reading if he or she is able. That way, the teacher can get a better idea of what the child's really capable of. Are they actually at grade level? Is their speech normal and age appropriate or not? Sometimes if it's not, I mean, it may be that the child needs some speech therapy but usually that's not the case. Talk to the child. This is for teachers. Talk to the child about your hopes and expectations that they'll respond verbally, but don't push them. Make observations, make suggestions, and direct the child, but don't ask questions which require a spoken response. The more these children are pushed in in overt ways to speak, the more anxious and reticent they become. In other words, you got to go in kind of obliquely. If the child is uncomfortable making eye contact, stand beside him or engage him by pointing at things or lightly touching his shoulder. If they don't want to make eye contact, don't stand right in front of them where they're kind of forced to take their eyes away or look at the floor. Again, that's a way of creating more discomfort, more anxiety, and 
you know, a more of a pushback from the child. It's really important to encourage these children to participate in small groups or to be with a child or children who are a suitable match, but never single them out as this, again, increases their anxiety and their distress. Compliment the child for any behavior which is independent or involves taking a risk. Remember, these are kids who are risk averse. They're anxious. Although the child's behavior may be frustrating and even defeating, try to keep in mind the child is anxious, not obstinate, and not deliberately provocative. Tips for parents include inviting classmates home to play. In fact, that's the number one suggestion. Invite classmates home to play. When a classmate have heard the child speak, they will inevitably encourage him or her to speak at school. Don't allow your child to give up and don't accept for him or for yourself that this is just the way he or she is. Your child really needs to learn to speak at school. Consult the teacher about a compatible child or children to invite home. One child at a time seems to work best because that way your child can't avoid participating in the play and in the interactions. If your child is anxious about playdates, then plan an activity and agree on a signal if they need help. Talk about any potential difficulties that might come up and try to engage your child in problem solving. Record your child's voice as she describes a photograph or relates a story and then play them back so that he or she can hear how they sound, get comfortable with their sound of their voice and really begin to enjoy how well they speak. Play the recording for grandparents, play it for teachers or peers while your child listens. The delight of the audience is bound to have a positive effect. Very important is visiting your child at school as often as possible. Talk to the teacher and say hello to other children. Again, you're trying to bridge the gap between home and school. As with most psychosocial difficulties, the sooner selective mutism is resolved, the better. Most children are able to overcome their anxiety about speaking in the classroom with a lot of patience and a lot of encouragement. But many will continue to be anxious and self-conscious about presentations, debates, and other forms of public speaking. And of course, lots of people are anxious about those activities. Children who continue to be unable to speak at school for several years are usually stigmatized, marginalized, and perform poorly in academic as well as social realms. They just seem to tune out. As teens, they become increasingly socially isolated. Sometimes, but not usually, children need the help of a mental health professional. In situations where your child is refusing to go to school, or starting to develop psychosomatic symptoms such as stomach aches and headaches, you really need to consult your doctor and perhaps get a referral to a mental health specialist. When your child is really unhappy, when they're crying a lot, or when they're beginning to withdraw at home as well as school, that's an indication that they're really suffering and need some help. Also, when the teacher or the principal is expressing concern that your child is isolated at school, not just silent, and that the teacher or the principal seem unable to help. With assistance, children who are selectively mute are usually just fine. 
However, it's really important to make the distinction between the fact that they're usually just fine and you don't have to worry about it or do anything about it. These kids don't grow out of it. They don't grow out of it spontaneously and they don't grow out of it by themselves. They don't suddenly start to speak at school or other settings. They need a concerted, practical plan to overcome their anxiety about speaking and expressing themselves outside their homes. That's it for this episode. Next time, I'm going to be speaking with Tina Hamelainen about the mental health challenges of children dealing with cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment. Tina's a nurse with the Pediatric Oncology Group of Ontario and the Hospital for Sick Children. Please listen and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Janet Morrison.